Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You're about to listen to a historical episode of Dark Poutine. After episode 149, you will find Scott is no longer with the show. In an effort to maintain continuity and offer listeners as many episodes as possible, we are leaving the episodes in which he co-hosted intact. Thank you. Welcome to Dark Poutine. <laughs> I'm Mike Brown, creator and host. With me as usual is my good friend and co-host, Scott Dracula Avonway. Hello, you spooky, beautiful people. Hey, wow. Yeah, right? It's spooky. I'm setting the tone. <laughs> the views, information, and opinions expressed during the Dark Poutine podcast are solely those of the producer and do not necessarily represent those of Curious Cast its affiliate Global News, nor their parent company, Chorus Entertainment. Dark Poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish. Listener discretion is strongly advised. We're not experts on the topics we present, nor are we journalists. We're two ordinary Canadians chatting about crime and the dark side of history. Let's get to it. Put on your toque. Grab yourself a double-double and an Nanaimo bar. It's time to scarf down some Dark Poutine. Halloween style. Chomp, 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 chomp. Yeah, before we get started, we want to remind you of our upcoming live show at the Rio Theater during the Vancouver Podcast Festival. And guess what? What's that? We have three pairs of tickets to give away. Oh, sweet sassy molassie. For more details, go to darkpoutine.com slash contest. And you have to be able to be in Vancouver on November 9th. Yep. At 10 p.m. At 10 p.m. At the Rio Theater. And no, we will not drive you there. And and, and please, yeah, please don't uh, fill it out if you don't think you can make it to there because that's yeah. going to take a ticket away from somebody who'd really like to, or who could really be there. So yeah. uh, unless you're absolutely confident you can be there, don't, don't do it. This is episode 97. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. It's the history of Halloween and mm. Canadian ghost stories. I love, I love these I love these, again, as much as I don't believe in supernatural, I love the supernatural. Yeah. So I dug around and I got ghost stories from every single province and territory. Oh, wow. Yeah. Is this going to be a three-hour episode? I hope not. (laughs) They're pretty quick little stories. Okay. Most of our history of Halloween, though, is what will take up the time. Mm, Cool. Let's get to it. We love Halloween, as do many Canadians. It's one of my favorite times of the year for a few reasons. One, anyone who knows me is aware that I love all things dark and dreary. Wait a minute, you? I do. Wow, never would have guessed it. My love of Halloween is not only for scary stories, creepy traditions, dressing up, and candy, although they're important too. Great. It's also the second anniversary of Dark Routine. 
Oh, holy shit. Why did I forget that? Right? Yeah, we, we, yeah, we literally... Wow. Yep. It's two years. Christ. Yeah. Two years. This mind-blowing. Right? I was also adopted on Halloween. What? There's a lot of anniversaries happening. Yeah, exactly. So my parents put their names in to adopt a kid, and only a few weeks later, they get the phone call mm-hmm. that they uh, there was a child ready for them to adopt, little yep. old me. Little Mikey. And they went into Halifax to pick me up, but they were nowhere prepared. I had to sleep in a drawer my first <laughs> night. <laughs> was it, so it was that kind of a last it minute It was thing? that was kind like, of last minute. Come get your kid. And they didn't tell any of the relatives that they were going to get a kid either. Wow. So when they got home to my grandmother's house, Halloween evening, they put me on the doorstep, rang the doorbell, and ran (laughs) into the bushes. (laughs) That is perfect. And that's that's how my grandma met me on Halloween. That is perfect. Mom and dad hiding in the bushes, watching for her reaction. Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, pretty funny. I love it. Yep. (laughs) So I was a Halloween trick. Oh, a very long-lasting one. Oh, I guess. Yeah, 50 years later. (laughs) Holy crap. Uh, do you have any special memories of Halloween yourself, Scott? Well, so, yes. Uh, one Halloween. This is when I lived in East Vancouver. Our front lawn was right on East First, which is a very busy, mm-hmm. a very busy main road. And my mom's boyfriend, who we lived with, he was kind of like a stepdad. They were together for a long yep. time. He thought, you know what? It would be great for Halloween. And we'll do like a, a Halloween pinata that we'll smash. And um, so he, and he was an architect and a woodworker. So he built a very large um, contraption to hold. So like Wicker Man kind of thing. Well, I don't, I can't recall what Wicker Man, anything about Wicker Man. So yeah, he constructed it and it's very large in our front yard. And he constructed it at a good time, like a good chunk of days or weeks. I can't remember ahead of time. And you know, with a rope on it, because you got to hold the, um, you got to hold the pinata. And so it just looked like we had a hangman's noose in our, oh. in our front yard. Oh, like a gallows. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. For, uh, and it was unintentional. So I'm just, it was always just like, I'm wondering what, like everybody driving Did by. Did anyone hang themselves from it? No, no. But it kind of looked like, you know, for lynching, if you are picking up what I'm putting down. I guess so. Yeah. And so that, you know. He didn't dress as a pointy-headed no, ghost in white, it, did no. he? And my, my parents, like, uh, you know, his name was Mark. Mark and my mom was raging hippies at the time. So yeah. it's, they're not at all like, yeah, this is going to make a statement. It was just, they, it was just like, oh shit, we didn't realize oh. this looks like a hangman's noose. Well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I loved Halloween. I still do. I still do. Yeah. To get an understanding of Halloween in Canada, we kind of have to go all the way back to the origins of Halloween. And it was first celebrated by the pagan Celts as Samhain in Ireland more than 2,500 years ago. To them, Samhain, literally meaning summer's end, was the final spoke on the wheel of the year, their New Year's Eve. Okay. As the sun in the northern hemisphere makes its way into the underworld for the next six months, the darker forces usually relegated to that realm were free to easily cross into our world and us if we dared into theirs. The veil between our world and the underworld is at its thinnest at this time. Exactly. According to the book Llewellyn's Sabbath Essentials, Samhain, the ancients believed this time of year a dangerous one. Ill-humored fairies, errant spirits, and offended ancestors all posed their risks. 
Whoa, scary stuff. Poor offended ancestor. From Canadian author Nicholas Rogers' Halloween, from pagan ritual to party night, quote, The Feast of Samhain was the occasion of stock-taking and ingathering of reorganizing communities for the winter months, including the preparation of quarters for itinerant warriors and shaman. It was also a period of supernatural intensity when the forces of darkness and decay were said to be abroad, spilling out from the Sid, the ancient mounds or barrows of the countryside. To ward off these spirits, the Irish built huge, symbolically regenerative bonfires and invoked the help of the gods through animal and perhaps even human sacrifice. End quote. No. Human sacrifice. Yeah, you know, I don't think that's really good for anybody. No, I especially know. not the sacrifice. I, I haven't heard a lot of positive stories to come out of human sacrifices. Well, you know. Yeah, I do not. No. No. To fool the evil spirits, able to cross the threshold between the living and the dead, young men dressed in white, having blackened faces, or wearing dark masks to impersonate and confuse the wandering spirits. I just don't, you know, maybe it's the day, day we live in, I just don't see that. Uh, the go, black face? Yeah, I don't, see that, I don't see that going swimming. We can ask like, Trudeau about the black face, yeah, perhaps. I, oh, boy. That's a heck of a long way from a heavily built 45-year-old trucker dressing up like Taylor Swift in a skimpy sequin gown and heels to amuse his pals. I want to see that. Well, you probably will. Oh, yes. <laughs> it is Halloween. What a vision that's conjured in my head. In those days, though, surviving the winter was not as simple as a trip to the grocery store across the street for more food. Hmm. Harvest was an important time, as there had to be enough for all to endure the hardship of the year's coldest and most sparse months. Yeah, makes sense. Superstitious as they were, the pagans at the time believed the practice of these rituals would bring them luck and better ensure their survival through the hard times ahead. Yeah, okay. The ancient Romans added their spin on things with the festival of Pomona, Ooh. the Latin goddess of plenty. Pomum is the Latin word for fruit. Pomona was called Pomorum Patrona, she who cares for fruits. I'd love a, a tall glass of uh, Poronum Patrona to right now. <laughs> it's like sounds like a Harry Potter spell. <laughs> According to the Book of Halloween, written in 1919 by Ruth Edna Kelly, well, Quote, many Roman poets told stories about her, the best known being Ovid, who said that she was wooed by many orchard gods but preferred to remain unmarried. Among her suitors was Vertumnus, the changer, the god of the turning year, who had charge of the exchange of trade, the turning of river channels, and chiefly of the change in nature from flower to ripe fruit. True to his character, he took many forms to gain Pomona's love. Now he was a plowman in spring. Now he was a fisherman in summer. Now a reaper in autumn. Sounds kind of like he was peacocking. A little bit. An old crone told Pomona the story of Anorexoret, who was so cold to her lover Iphis that he hanged himself, and she, at the window watching his funeral train pass by, was changed to a marble statue. Advising Pomona to avoid such a fate, Vertumnus donned his proper form, that of a handsome young man, surprise, surprise, <laughs> and Pomona, moved by the story and his beauty, yielded and became his wife. Well, lucky for her, he turned out to be handsome. Right, exactly. You know? It's like I'm kissing all these frogs. Yeah. 
So apples are plentiful at this time of year, and Pomona's symbol is an apple. And oh. the tradition of bobbing for apples around Halloween is believed to have stemmed from Pomona's festival. Oh, wow. That's a cool little bit of trivia. Yeah. And, you know, bobbing for apples is also considered a a bit of a mating ritual, too, because both really? the male and the female would bob for apples. Or, oh, yeah. that's romantic. <laughs> As well, playing a part were Roman festivals called Feralia, which commemorated the dead, and Lemuria, which also had to do with the dead. Some crazy, weird-ass names I know. so far. <laughs> From Forbes.com, quote, Feralia was held on February 21st and celebrated the Roman manes or spirits of the dead. Fun fact, Roman tombstones don't read Requiast in Pace, or R.I.P., but rather DM, standing for Dismanibus, for spirits of the dead. Ooh. The Feralia was the last day of the Parentalia festival to honor one's ancestors when people would bring offerings to their deceased ancestors' tombs. Gotcha. So you're starting to see a little bit of a pattern about mm -hmm. how Halloween kind of came about. Mm -hmm. Lemuria was celebrated on three days, May 9th, 11th, and 13th, because even days were considered unlucky, of course. Well, cla of, without clearly. It, we all know that. It was also a festival of the dead, but honored the lemures, or the dangerous spirits of people who died violent or untimely deaths. Oh, yikes. Oh, oh, yeah, you don't want to piss them off. As Christianity made its way into Europe, the church and various religious leaders throughout the years have tried to do away with the pagan customs at this time of year. And they made the days more about quiet prayer and contemplation Ooh. but believers held on passing the rituals down from generation to generation yeah. as a lot of you know many festivals were co-opted and incorporated into the christian religion in some way to help the pagan converts feel more at home and hopefully convert them to strictly christian ways okay and they wanted to stamp out the old ideas and practices Samhain, Pomona, Feralias, and Lemuria were rolled into one big death-related festival. <laughs> what kind of festival? October 31st <laughs> became All Hallows' Even, eventually shortened to Halloween. It is followed by All Saints' Day, or Hallowmass, on November 1st, and then All Souls' Day on November 2nd. I've never heard of Hallows' Mass. Well, you are not. Hallowmass. Uh, you are not a Catholic. Correct. <laughs> you are not, and neither I, am I. I'm not, a, I'm not an anything. From todayifoundout.com, quote, As for the trick-or-treating or guising from disguising How traditions, deep. beginning in the Middle Ages, children and sometimes poor adults would dress up in costumes and go door-to-door -door during Hallowmass begging for food or money in exchange for songs and prayers, often said on behalf of the dead. This was called souling. And the children were called solars, end quote. I prefer to call it dead caroling. <laughs> yeah, pretty much exactly yeah, what yeah. that was. The treats first took on the form of soul cakes, like a cookie, for which the original recipe is really unknown. It was believed by some that if no food or treats were given to the solars, the house would be haunted by the demons who would make life miserable for the stingy inhabitants playing tricks on them. Jesus, it was like a forced... Uh giving back then yeah yeah <laughs> just like you now you kids come to the room you're like oh joyous and back then it would have been like oh damn it i'm bound to give them something so from that comes the question trick mm. or treat right interesting wow okay children Ooh. may have sung one of a few songs to earn their cakes one went like this quote soul soul a soul cake 
I pray thee, good missus, a soul cake. One for Peter, two for Paul, three for him that made us all. Soul cake, soul cake, please, good missus, a soul cake. An apple, a pear, a plum, or a cherry, any good thing to make us all merry. One for Peter, two for Paul, and three for him who made us all, end quote. Wow. I've never heard of a soul cake. Soul Cake would be a good name for a band. Oh, my dear God, yes. Soul Cake. What kind of music would they play, though? Would it be like uh, Collective Soul? No, no, no. no. I think they're an indie band. They have a mandolin. Oh. And a harp. Okay. You don't, very rarely do you combine the mandolin and the harp in one band. So there's a modern version of soul cakes that some people actually make on Halloween. And in some countries, like Portugal and Philippines, they give them away. Oh. And it's made with allspice, nutmeg, cinnamon, ginger, or other sweet spices, raisins, or currants, and uh, before baking, and topped with a mark of the cross. Obviously, there's flour in there. I just didn't include the whole recipe because we'll post a link to the recipe for soul cakes I so need in the show notes. I so need to try one. Carol actually is excited about making the soul cakes. Sweet. Good. I'm going to take one of her soul cakes. There you go. Yeah. As the Irish and Scottish made their way to the New World in the 1700s, so came their traditions and rituals. Their Halloween practices came too. Mm-hmm. I was able to find mentions of Halloween in Canada in some early 1870s newspapers on the newspapers.com site. Oh, okay. And mischief or tricks it seemed to have been alive and well on Halloween in Canada at that time. Okay. In an article titled Police Court... In the, 18, in the November 2nd, 1872 edition of the Ottawa Daily Citizen, said, quote, Thomas Hughes, a newsboy, was charged with breaking the glass of a street lamp Halloween night. He was fined $5 in costs, in default, one week in jail at hard labor. She just broke a lamp. Exactly, but <laughs> that's what I thought when I read that. Man. Like, Holy crap, you got to go to jail for a week? And yeah, five bucks mandatory. 18- default. Default one week in jail and hard labor. And hard labor. So he's, he's busting rocks. He's somewhere. busting rocks. Man, probably chains to other prisoners. His five dollars are probably like six years' salary. Yeah, might just bust a lamp. Yeah, all I did was break a lamp, and now I'm a big time criminal. Might like, yeah. Isn't that nuts? Man. Oh, I don't want to live in 1872. <laughs> right, like Jesus. <laughs> the Ottawa Daily Citizen edition. That was released on October 30th, 1875, talks about a superstitious ritual practiced by the girls of the period. And this was a tradition handed down over the centuries. I want to hear this. Single girls, we had Scott at single girls, would, <laughs> would All gather. All the single girls. Single girls would gather in groups and designate a hazelnut for each of the men they saw as potential suitors. Mm-hmm. So you've got like. Bob written on one and yeah. Bill written on another. Okay. They'd throw each nut into the fire and watch intently. Oh, okay. If the nut popped or jumped in the fire, it was believed the man would be unfaithful and would not make a good husband. <laughs> if a nut burned to ashes, the young man represented by that would make a worthy husband. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, that's pretty much science. And, and those girls were also there bobbing for apples. It sounds like an exciting Halloween night. It, it does. It does. And, yeah, scientific. As for the young men, the paper said, quote, The boys of 1875 will find more amusement in stealing cabbage, 
ringing doorbells, fastening doors from the outside, and other petty misdeeds. You know, it's funny that gets mentioned, because weren't we just planning on a weekend of stealing cabbage? Stealing cabbages yeah. and ringing doorbells is, yeah, that is was, something that we do often. It, it is. It is. I mean, we love us some cabbage. Uh, <laughs> it's true. Mm-hmm. Mm, yum. Mm-hmm. Stealing cabbage. That's going to be our Halloween treats this year for kids. It's cabbage. Yeah. Here's some cabbage for you. Did you do it, little, little Timmy? A couple of leaves of cabbage. <laughs> After Halloween, uh, the same paper talked about the goings-on in Masham Township mm-hmm. in Quebec over that evening. Mm-hmm. After a spate of more petty crimes, some criminals were emboldened by Halloween and wreaked havoc on the town. Oh, I'm curious as to what the havoc was. Was was Did they up it in stealing watermelons? Well, quote, cellars were entered and plundered. Oh, okay. Doors were broken open. Pantries were searched. And the good things that were therein were carried off. Potato pits were relieved of their contents, end quote. What the hell is a potato pit? Well, it's a pit that you keep potatoes in. <laughs> Someone so stole... Gotta... They stole all the potatoes. I'd like... That doesn't make any sense to me. Why would you need a, to have a pit for potatoes? Uh, that's a great question. Wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Anyways, I got a good chuckle out of potato pits. Well, you know... Those poor people were not amused by this, the theft of the potatoes. This is complete havoc. It's it's awful. Yeah. Amok was run. (laughs) Yes, exactly. The Victoria Daily Times reported about Halloween just passed on November 3rd, 1890. Uh Uh-oh. Quote, the usual Halloween festivities were indulged in around town to a more or less extent on Friday night. A more or less extent. Taffy pulls, small parties, etc., occupying attention indoors, while outside, a number of irrepressibles busied themselves in doing all sorts of mischievous foolishness. End quote. It sounds like like the people in the in, back in the day were aghast by any kind of like tomfoolery. Could you imagine? I want to be called an irrepressible, <laughs> right? Could you? imagine like how the outrage these individuals would have if they could come alive in these days and see what firecrackers oh my god they would be like flipping tables and just oh oh it'd be awful oh my god they would just yeah they they wouldn't they they, oh they would their heads would explode from anger (laughs) they would oh well, over 100 years ago 'er ne'er-do-wells were still keeping the local cops on their toes on Halloween I remember we used to get together. There were two high schools in my hometown at the time. Okay. My high school is now closed and just a junior high school. But there was Bridgewater High School in Parkview. Okay. And we used to meet at the Kinsman Ball Field for an egg fight. Oh. So hundreds of students from either school with eggs. That's amazing. Like carton and carton and yeah. carton upon eggs. Yeah would just meet and just chuck eggs at one another across the ball field. That was brilliant. Oh, it was great. I'm assuming not hard-boiled, because that takes a lot no, of No, no, you, you're getting nailed by yeah, eggs. Yeah. But the funniest part was, was when the police showed up. Would they get pelted? Yeah. Yeah. So there were a few Bridgewater Town police cars that usually had to be repainted <laughs> after uh, <laughs> after Halloween. Oh, jeez. Yeah, because let's just say there was... Uh, Many, many an egg thrown at those because you would hear cops and everybody would turn and you would just see this 
these white projectiles going through the air toward all the cops. It would be cars. impossible for them to know who threw what. Exactly. There's so many. And then they, they would chase us. The cops would come and chase us yeah. out of there. But, you know, everybody scatters and goes different ways. Yeah. And the ball field was like two blocks from my house, so it was pretty easy to get home. That's, that's some pretty good tomfoolery. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, that sounds great. Did you ever do anything... Uh, uh, Interesting on Halloween, I, you know, just the uh, the typical stupid uh, Roman candle fights and things. Oh yeah, yeah. Which I look back now, like if I found my daughters shooting each other with Roman candles, I'd be like, "This is so! How dare you? Your, you know, your hair could ignite." La-. And yeah, but nope, I was one of them stupid kids with. Uh, I'm going to admit to a crime here. Oh, it's is really the statute bad. Of it's, limitation. Yeah, it's probably up. <clears throat> okay. Because yeah. it's, it's, yeah, it's theft under. Oh, God. But so what we did, we had a number of friends with cars. Yeah. And drove around the entire town. Pumpkins? And we took pumpkins yeah. off of people's doorsteps. I've, I've, we yeah. didn't smash them. Yeah. What? No. We took them all. I remember one year in particular, I think it was 1986 or 1987. Yeah, it was 1986. We took all the pumpkins mm-hmm. and piled them in front of the doors of the liquor store. So you couldn't get into the liquor store. <laughs> See, I, I, I partook in the same uh, criminal activities. Yeah. Except uh, 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 what I would do was use the pumpkins to peel out in my, I think it was, what, a 1975 Toyota Corolla. Oh, so you would put them by the tires and peel yeah. out. Yeah. It's the, only way I could, it's the only way I could get that car to peel out. Oh, boy. Yeah. And so we, that's what we would do. Yeah. yeah. So we were bad kids. Yeah. Well, th- I mean, that goes without saying. Every year there was something different. I remember my friends Mark and Chris, we built... Uh, the a du- city on a rock and roll? No. So we built a dummy, and his name was Ted. <laughs> and Ted was wearing a Vanomania t-shirt, like this 1970s t-shirt. Oh it was kid size yeah. kind of thing. And uh, I wasn't involved in the antics that took place after because I was out with other people. Sounds like something somebody would say who was involved. No, I definitely okay. was not. Okay. Because those guys got in trouble. <laughs> And what they got in trouble for was throwing Ted out in front of cars. Oh no! Oh no! So people would no. people would think that they had run over a child. Oh no! That was not good. Holy! I, Jesus. I am so glad that I wasn't there that I can say somebody else did it. I'm all I one. helped to build Ted, but I didn't know what was going to go on with Ted. I'm all one for stupid pranks, but oh Jesus! Oh yeah, that was that was. I pretty think nice. even as a kid doing stupid things, I would have been like. No, that's just not cool, guys. Yeah, well, it <laughs> happened. Yeah. So, yeah, they would just fire him out of the bushes onto the street, and then somebody wouldn't be able to break in time, and they would run Ted over. That poor fucking heart, those people. Yeah. You just think you killed a kid. Just traumatize people with, with Ted the dummy. Oh, my God. It was like jackass without the video. I just want to find all those people and hug them. No, you don't. No? Okay. Well, not the kids. (sighs) Yeah, so I was a bit of a bad apple when we were kids. Well, good egg. Get it? Because eggs. Yeah, bad apple, though. So we'll take a break right here and come back to chat about the origins of the jack-o'-lantern, a popular Halloween tradition in Canada and... North America, and some quick ghost stories from every single province and territory. Wow, I can't wait. Yeah, and we'll be right back. 
And we're back again. Yes, we are. So seeing pumpkins on people's doorsteps and in their windows around Halloween is a massive Canadian tradition. Yeah, it's American too, though, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay, but it's like, yeah, so North American. Yeah, but like, it, start, it actually started in Canada. Did it? Before it started. Of course. Of course it did. Of course it did, like basketball. Yeah, exactly. Um, it was brought from Ireland, where jack-o'-lanterns were not carved from pumpkins, but from large turnips or rutabagas. How large are these turnips? They're pretty big. Jeez. Once in North America, it was discovered that gourds, in particular pumpkins, were far easier to carve and light from within. Damn skippy. So have you ever thought about where the tradition of the jack-o'-lantern comes from? You know, I never have. Well, guess what? We're going to find out. I am going to tell you. Because now I'm curious. I have a story to tell. Oh, yes. And so this is called The Legend of Stingy Jack. Oh, okay. And this is my take on it. So I saw a few versions of it around the internet. All right. And I thought, okay, I will take this and write my own version. Make of it. it one. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. I, I did okay. a little bit of creative writing here. Well, beautiful. So bear with me. I'm bearing. Many years ago in Ireland, there lived a drunken old sot named Stingy Jack who skittered like a hairy spider from town to town. His reputation preceded him wherever he traveled. He was able to take the shirt off anyone's back with his silver tongue and his black evil heart was said to rival even the devil himself. Not one to be outdone, one Halloween old Lucifer decided he'd climb out of the bottomless cesspool of hell and prove once and for all he was the sole heir to the crown of the Prince of Darkness. His prideful, shriveled, jealous heart allowed for no other devil of devils or father of lies. To him, there could be only one, and it was to be him and him alone. He'd show this Stingy Jack a thing or two. Oh, battles afoot. That night, Stingy Jack was stumbling along a lane in the darkness of the Irish countryside with only the moonlight to guide him. Having burned his bridges in yet another town, he was drunk as a fiddler, looking for the means to his next drink. He was never done. There was never enough. But somehow, he always managed to find more. Hmm. Jack noticed the shape of a body lying face down in the middle of the lonely crossroads. As no one else was around, Jack decided to approach and check the body for change so he could get himself more whiskey. Hmm. As Jack got closer, he was almost knocked over by the repellent stench of sulfur. He turned the body over and saw the face a contorted mess that looked like no one in particular and everyone all at once. The eyes of the thing glowed red, burning into what remained of Stingy Jack's withered soul. The thing was alive, and when it grabbed him with its iron grip, Jack knew just who it was. This was Satan, come to drag his soul to the underworld, back to hell where he knew he'd burn forever. Satan's not the one you want to fight, I'm telling you. Jack had an idea, though. He asked the wicked one to take him for a few drinks so he could face his fate with a belly full. Satan couldn't see why not, so off they went to the nearest open public house so Jack could imbibe his last few drinks. Is Satan paying? Satan watched in amazement as Jack pounded drink after drink without taking a breath. Satan was impressed with the drunkard's capacity, but he'd seen enough. It was time to go. But Jack had no money to pay. <laughs> and the barkeep would not let them go without paying their tab. Jack begged Satan to pay for him, but Satan didn't have any change either. What a conundrum. 
Knowing that Satan was a master shapeshifter, with a glint in his eye, Jack whispered in Satan's ear, Thank you so much for the drinks. I'm ready to go, but we have to pay first. Why don't you turn yourself into a sixpence and I will pay the barkeep with you, he burbled. I will leave here. After the pub closes in a few minutes and the barkeep goes to bed, you can transform back into your traveling form and come to meet me at the crossroads where we met. Then you can take me to hell. Sly fella. Satan transmogrified himself into a sixpence. But instead of handing him to the barkeep, Stingy Jack plopped the devil into his pocket where he kept his crucifix. (laughs) The devil was powerless. Jack drunkenly stumbled out into the night unseen as the bartender was busy with another patron. Oh, sneaky. Jack made his way to the crossroads as the devil screamed and cursed at Jack to let him go, but the crucifix held him in place. Jack just laughed. He told Lucifer that he'd let him go if he'd promised never to take his soul. Oh. Satan agreed. Jack removed the devil from his pocket, and Satan transformed back into himself, a red-skinned cloven-hoofed demon with a forked tail and glowing red eyes. With a flick of the wrist, the ground opened up at Satan's feet to reveal the stinking hot fires of hell far below. The devil scowled at Jack, cursing him for a fool, jumped into the pit, and the ground snapped shut after him. Who'd have thought the devil would have been this honorable? Jack went on his way, none the wiser, and spent the next ten years drinking himself into oblivion, as he had every year prior to that. But the booze caught up to Stingy Jack. His heart and liver failed, and the old drunk died. Mm -hmm. That's what'll happen. Upon arriving at the pearly gates, St. Peter told Jack that thanks to the evil life he'd lived, drinking, lying, and stealing, he was not welcome in heaven. Jack knew where he had to go. He went to the gates of hell and begged for entry there. But the devil reminded him of their deal. (laughs) Satan would never take his soul. Stingy Jack was doomed to walk alone in the darkness for eternity. That's some punishment. The devil gave Jack an ember from the fires of hell to light his way, and Jack carved out a rutabaga to hold the ember and began roaming the Irish countryside with his own piece of hell to light his way. This was to act as a warning to others not to do as he had done. It's said that over bogs, swamps, or marshes, ghost lights, or the will-o'-wisp can be seen from time to time especially around Halloween when that veil between this life and the next is at its thinnest. Some believe this to be Jack of the Lantern, still walking around, still thirsty, but now unable to drink to make the pain go away. Well, son of a bitch, so so jack-o'-lanterns are there to remind people not to drink. Well, or be evil and wicked. Well, did, I mean, try to pull one over on the devil. The common denominator in this is alcohol. Well, yeah. I mean, just, just remember that, people. When you're out there staring in the face of a jack-o'-lantern, you better not be sauced. <laughs> exactly. Another thing I remember about Halloween as a child is the UNICEF orange boxes. Oh, yes. Did you ever carry those? No. What? I think I did. Actually, I think I did uh, in elementary school. Yeah, Canadian kids would collect spare change, mostly pennies, as they trick-or-treated. 
And UNICEF, the United Nations Children's Fund, collected about $3 million uh, the year before the practice went online only in Mm. 2016. And we'll share the link to the UNICEF website so you can learn more. Yeah, I do do remember now. uh, I remember finding my orange box months later still with a bunch of pins. Oh, no. I was in Chief McQuinn school. And, yep. uh, yeah, I can remember getting them. Yeah. 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 UNICEF. I don't think I filmed them. Here in Canada, it seems that some of the true meaning of Halloween is becoming lost over time. Rather than uh, something from the underworld, people dress up as Donald Trump. That's something from the underworld. I guess, maybe. A nasty nurse or their favorite superheroes. Trick-or-treating took off in popularity around the 1920s with the average Canadian spending $70 a year on Halloween candy, decorations, and or costumes. Yeah, I could eat $70 in candy. (laughs) Although some neighborhoods still hold, uh, although some neighborhoods still do door-to-door trick-or-treating, in others, the practice is relegated to a Saturday afternoon around Halloween at a community hall. Boo. I know. Boo. Some communities are even petitioning to change the date of the holiday to a more convenient weekend near the actual date. Are you kidding me? I am not kidding you. Screw that. And if you are one of them, go shit in your hat. <laughs> like twice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're Halloween protectionists here. Very much so. It's the 31st. Yeah. Or get the F out. Exactly. We're not sure how the wandering spirits feel about that. I don't think anybody has asked them. Well, we're live spirits and we're pissed about it. So imagine the wandering ones. Exactly. Why do we still practice Halloween? It's fun. We dress up, pull pranks, collect candy, but perhaps there's something else. Oh, maybe. It could be that worm at the core. (laughs) The idea that we all must die one day and the hope that immortality lies beyond that makes us cling to the customs practiced by our ancestors so long ago. Life and death still puzzle us. Perhaps these yearly practices, albeit much watered down now, give us comfort on some subconscious level. Candy. I think it's probably just candy. It's <laughs> just candy. Just candy. And naughty nurses. <laughs> and maybe there is something to all the talk about spirits. I don't know. Yeah. Ghost stories never seem to go away completely. I recently joined a Facebook group with over, over 17,000 members called Haunted Nova Scotia. That's, was, that's uh, like the entire population of Nova Scotia. Oh, that's a million people there. Yeah, close. I, I was looking for ghost stories about Nova Scotia yeah. and yeah. I went in there and I found like a lot of fascinating posts. That's awesome. People posting videos and pictures of weird occurrences, links, all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, Nova Scotia, as you know, is one of Canada's oldest provinces. So who knows? Maybe there is a lot of paranormal activity there. Yeah, makes sense. So I decided, like I mentioned earlier, I would try to find something, some sort of creepy story for every single province and territory. That's like four provinces. No, there's... I I know, I'm not good at math. (sighs) So we'll start in Newfoundland. We'll go all the way back east. Okay. In St. John's, Newfoundland, a woman named Catherine Snow was publicly hanged from the window of a local courthouse on July 21st, 1834. Jesus, bold. She'd been accused and convicted of the murder of her husband, even though there was no direct evidence of her guilt. Sightings of her ghost began only days later. Although the courthouse has been replaced twice, Catherine Snow showed up in both buildings, built almost exactly on the same location. Hmm. 
A second trial for the case was held in 2012 in an effort to give her restless spirit peace. In this trial, she was found not guilty of the murder, and there have been no reported sightings since. That is a wicked story. Isn't that cool? I really do hope to hell that they retried. They did, yeah. They legit did. Yeah. I'm not making this up. That is so None of this is made up. These are all actual stories. Well, I mean... Wow. They're people's takes on yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. No, I love that one. Yeah. I love that one. Good start. So in New Brunswick, there's a famous ghost named the Dungarvan Whooper. <laughs> and it's close to Renew, uh, near Miramichi. Sure. The story is that in late 19th century, a young Irish cook by the name of Peter Ryan was murdered by his boss at a logging camp for his cash that he brought with him while the lumberjacks were out working. That's a shitty boss. Right? The boss supposedly buried the man in a grave in the woods nearby. That night and every night subsequent, the loggers in the camp were unable to sleep as a loud, mournful whooping or howling came from the forest outside the camp. Supposedly, Ryan crying for his lost life and treasure. Mm-hmm. The camp was soon abandoned, but the story had been passed down among the lumberjacks over the years, so people who work in the woods still pass this story on to each other in New Brunswick. I I think that it's Ryan crying out for a labor relations (laughs) consult. Oh, God. Uh, Because I'm pretty sure that his boss crossed some pretty substantial labor laws. People believed so strongly that this had happened and that these woods were haunted that the grave of Peter Ryan was exorcised by a priest many years later. Yeah, you gotta do what you gotta do, Mike. (laughs) Yep. In PEI, there's a place with a creepy name, Goblin Hollow. Oh, that's cool. With an even creepier history. Oh, yeah. In May of 1859, Anne Beaton, an unwed 41-year-old mother who'd been living with her brother had not been seen for two days. From the book Ghost Stories and Legends of Prince Edward Island by Julie V. Watson, quote, Her remains were found by her brother and were mangled terribly, according to the Islander on May 20th, 1859, with, quote, no less than 16 wounds having been inflicted on her head, neck, and mouth. Her brains were knocked out, her teeth driven in, and her mouth horribly cut, end quote. Yeah, that's pretty disgusting. It was believed jealousy and perhaps the parentage of her fatherless child had something to do with the murder, but no one has ever been charged with the crime. Some feel her ghost still haunts the darkened hollow and there have been some sightings of the horribly disfigured woman, as well as reports of strange sounds near the area where she was discovered. Yeah, I mean like 16 injuries to the face, that's not a ghost that you want to see. No. 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 Scared the shit out of me. Exactly. My home province, Nova Scotia, has its share of hauntings too. From the ghost in Halifax Citadel, or the Young Teaser, a ghost ship that haunts Mahone Bay. People will see this flaming ghost ship in the harbor. I love them. Uh, One of my favorite stories, though, is that of the face in the window of St. Paul's Anglican Church in downtown Halifax, and the oldest building in the city, completed in 1750. Oh. From discoverhalifaxns.com, quote, Legend has it that on the morning of the Halifax explosion, a deacon was standing in front of the window. 
Due to the intense light and heat from the explosion, his profile was forever etched on the glass, leaving his shadow behind for years to come. Oh, I love that. And many people say that they can see it. I've looked and I don't see it. I'm, I might be looking at the wrong window. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, a few of my friends claim they have seen it. As really, they look eh? up from Argyle Street yeah. at the second floor, they can see this face in the window. I believe. I guess if the light is right. I'm a believer, Mikey. Pretty cool. Yeah. Ghosts seem to love the big old hotels in Canada. Uh, who doesn't? For example, the picturesque 611-room Chateau Frontenac in Quebec City, which was built in 1892, has a few otherworldly permanent guests. Oh. One specter is that of a long-haired woman in a flowing white nightgown who likes to scare the crap out of guests by climbing into bed with them in the middle of the night. <laughs> That'll do it. Can you imagine some strange woman climbing into your bed and... Uh... <laughs> No comment? Uh, uh, but it's a ghost. It, why are there so many ghosts in nightgowns? That's a great question. A lot of people die in bed. I guess, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Sure. Another ghost in Chateau Frontenac is a 17th century French governor named Louis de Bois, who passed away on the grounds where the chateau now stands. He's seen still wearing the clothes from the era, roaming the darkened hallways in the massive ballroom, sitting on windowsills, and standing at the foot of beds, watching hotel guests sleep. You know what they say? Classic Louie. Classic Louie. Can you imagine, like, you wake up and you see some weird 17th century creep standing there looking at you? I'm not I'm not embarrassed to say I'd probably shit myself. <laughs> some powdered wig. Yeah, I'd, pro I'd probably drop a Everything's deuce. all yeah. cockeyed and yeah. like, bonjour, monsieur. I would be concerned about sh should I run or ch get changed first. <laughs> I've got poop in my pants. Yeah, I get, yeah. Yeah, your shit would fly out of your pajamas, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I wear tight pajamas, Mike. <laughs> Ontario is rife with tales of the paranormal, too. We've talked about hauntings around Mackenzie King's residence in Ottawa. Mm -hmm. And a few places in Toronto are well known for their specters as well. But there's a lighthouse looking out over Lake Ontario, called the Gibraltar Point Lighthouse, built in 1808. I love lighthouses. Its first keeper, John Paul Rademuller, was murdered in a brawl over booze by drunken sailors who hid the body near the lighthouse, where it was discovered some years later. On stormy nights, John Paul Rademuller can be seen and heard in the lighthouse, heading up the spiral staircase to check the light, a lantern in his outstretched hand. If I ever mentioned that, I really want to live in a lighthouse. You have actually yeah, mentioned yeah. that. I really want to Numerous live Numerous times. Yeah. Well, that, that doesn't that seem fun. I guess so. You giant light. That's you, that light is yours. Yeah. Do with it what you will. Yeah. Turn it on, turn it off. Yep. That's why well, it's about your only two options. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. From Manitoba's Red River Trail near Fort Garry comes the story of the Red River Ox Cart. Oh. And it was commemorated by a stamp. Oh, really? Yeah. There's a few hauntings that are, are commemorated by stamps. Wow. Yeah. I'll post a link. From CanadaPost.ca, quote, In the summer of 1903, a lone soldier was on sentry duty outside Lower Fort Garry when he saw something approaching his post. It was a little past midnight, but he didn't suspect anything out of the ordinary. And certainly, nothing paranormal. Yeah. He realized it was a cart, 
drawn by a team of oxen and driven by a Métis man and a woman. However, when the cart passed him several times between midnight and 2 a.m., he became suspicious and finally ordered the travelers to halt. In his words, the entire party, man, woman, oxen, even the cart itself, disappeared into thin air. You don't want a disappearing cart. No. You don't. Trust me. Yeah, your ox cart, you don't want one that disappears. I'm very well versed in my my ox carts, and disappearing ones are not the ones you want. More than one soldier saw these ghosts on subsequent nights. Oh. This was reported in the Morning Telegram on August 29, 1903, under the headline, Ghost Seen at Fort, Nightly Vigils of the Sentries Made Hideous by an Apparition. I mean, but it's, they sound like pretty innocent ghosts. Like they were just clearly looking for something and they go pass by multiple times. Just traveling. Yeah, just travel. Oh, no, wrong way. We've got to turn around. And oh, nope, still <laughs> the wrong way. you got to go back. Like, just poor lost innocent ghosts. Exactly. Okay. Saskatchewan's famous St. Louis Ghost Train appeared in an episode of Scott's favorite show, Unsolved Mysteries. What? I don't remember this it one. It did. Yeah. Every night... Lights varying in brightness and color can be seen up and down the abandoned railway line. Oh. Even though the tracks along the line have long since been removed, the weird lights still show up often. Yes. Grade 12 students in nearby LaRange claimed that they'd solved the phenomenon in 2012 by duplicating it, claiming it was caused by, quote, diffraction of distant vehicle lights Mm. on the highways close by. The only problem is... This has been happening since long before there were cars. Yeah. So put that in your science fair winning pipes and smoke it. <laughs> there, ladies. Yeah. These two young girls with their science. Do you know what I say about grade 12 students? Yeah. Buzz kills. Buzz kills. Just cl- typical buzz kills. Just let it go, grade let, 12. Let us have our ghost They won trains. like gold medals and everything for that. Boo. Boo. Give us our ghost trains and piss off. I want off. the ghost train. Yeah. Many of you have heard about the haunted Banff Springs Hotel. Scott, you spent I some stayed, time yep, there. I stayed there. Yep. And the porter that apparently haunts its hallways. One of the many ghosts. But are you aware of nearby Lake Minnewanka? Oh, that sounds familiar. So town officials called it Lake of the Water Spirit, but the local indigenous community called it Cannibal Lake. Yeah, well, okay, that can't be uh, good. They believe that an angry half-human, half-fish water spirit, like something out of an H.P. Lovecraft story, haunts the lake and waits to drag people who venture too near into and under the waters of the frigid lake. Yeah, didn't Guillermo del Toro just direct this movie? Pretty much. Yeah. The lake used to be much smaller, but after a dam was built nearby, the town was purposely flooded and now lays some 20 meters below the surface. It's accessible only by way of scuba diving. Oh my God, I want to learn how to scuba dive and then I want to go there. And see a town. That was that would be so cool. Isn't that neat? That would be so cool. Underwater town. Ta- oh my goodness. So no wonder that place is haunted. No kidding. Yeah. The Caribou Hotel in Carcross, Yukon, is supposedly one of the most haunted places in the territory. Uh-huh. After the original hotel burned down in a fire, Edwin W. and Bessie Geraldine Gideon rebuilt it and reopened the property in 1910. Oh. From caribouhotel.ca, quote, Bessie Gideon died on October 27, 1933, and since her death it has been said that the hotel has been haunted by Bessie's ghost. 
a shy spirit who is neither friendly or unfriendly. Along with doors being slammed and floors creaking, Bessie herself has been sighted, mostly on the third floor of the hotel where she can be seen, where she can be found putting bubbles in the bathtub, heard knocking or banging on the floorboards, and seen looking out the windows, end quote. I want to I wanna haunt after I die. You, want, you can haunt the, this uh, call? Well, it'd be a very localized to my couch. But I want. I want there to, is going to be like an entity on your couch. Yeah, you yeah crow. My, my spirit. Your, my, your my, couch won't let you go. No. <laughs> oh, boy. It's the best love story ever, me and my couch. Ugh. One of the oldest ghost stories in Canada comes from Fort McPherson, just south of Inuvik in the Northwest Territories. In 1853, the 33-year-old fur trader and Hudson's Bay post manager named Augustus Richard Piers died. But before he passed after an illness, he had one request, that he not be buried at Fort McPherson. He hated the place. Well, damn. This request was not honored, however, and he was buried there quickly. When a new manager was in place six years later, the decision was made to exhume Piers and move his remains to Fort Simpson for burial to honor his wishes. So what I got from that is it, they, it took them six years to fill his position. When he was unearthed, although the coffin around him was disintegrating, his body looked as though he'd just passed away days before. Whoa. He had not decomposed at all. A new coffin was created and loaded onto a dog sled for transport. From McLean's.ca, when his frozen body was transported to Fort Simpson for permanent burial, a ghostly voice could be heard ordering the party on. Marsh, the voice said, walk, driving the sled dogs mad. Yeah, that would scare the bejesus out of me. Yeah. Yeah, get me out of here is what he's saying. (laughs) Jeez, Marsh. I told you. Erebus and Terror of the Franklin Expedition were found in none of it. Yeah. There are surely spirits of those lost sailors walking on the ice there. Like what a what a shitty thing to have to haunt. Right? It's just the Arctic. ice out in the middle of nowhere. There's nobody to scare. But there are some Inuit myths uh, oh. about the existence of a shadowy humanoid-like people called the Tariaksuk. Oh. Who are like us in many ways except they cannot be seen if you look directly at them. And they're only visible completely when one is killed. Oh, that sucks. Even more terrifying is the legend of Ijirak, a shapeshifter that kidnaps children and abandons them after hiding them away. From Wikipedia, the Ijirak are said to inhabit a place between the two worlds, not quite inside this one, nor quite out of it. Inuit further south than the North Baffin group used to hold the belief that some Inuit went too far north in the chase of game and became trapped between the world of the dead and the world of the living, and thus became Ijirak. It's a fascinating story. Yeah, so don't bother to look for them, though, because their homeland is cursed and even the most skilled navigator will become hopelessly lost. Good news. I wasn't going to try. No plans on going yeah, to none of it? No. In the Arctic Circle for well, these I, shadow people? Yeah, no. No. No, don't, they're, they're safe with me. We end in British Columbia. As we should. Many have talked about haunted spots in Vancouver, like VGH's Burn Ward Ghost, we've Mm, mentioned that. Highcroft Manor, where we did Wicker Man, and that is a very haunted place. 
Vancouver Hotel's Lady in Red, yep. Dead Men's Island, and The Ghosts of Gastown. Victoria's Empress Hotel is also believed to be haunted by a former maid yep. and a carpenter who hung himself during the building's construction. Oh, don't know that one. But there is a little-known oddity in Quinell, B.C., Oh. Since 1991, the museum there has had their very own haunted doll. Her name is Mandy. Ooh, that's a great haunted doll name. From quinellmuseum.ca, quote, Some say Mandy has been given unusual powers. Strange things happen when Mandy is about. The donor of Mandy told the museum that she would wake up in the night and hear a baby crying from the basement, and upon investigation, she would find a curtain blowing in the breeze from an open window. She told us later that after the doll was given to the museum, she no longer heard the baby crying. Maybe she just actually gave them a baby. <laughs> now the museum staff and volunteers were saddled with weird and unexplained events. Oh. Lunches would disappear from the refrigerator. It sounds like the telecom we used to work at. <laughs> Same ghost. <laughs> and be later found tucked away in a drawer. Footsteps were heard when no one is around. Pens, books, pictures, and who knows what else would go missing. Some never to be found and others would turn up later. End quote. It, well, it just sounds to me like there's a thief there. You know what I want to do? What's that? I want to drive to Quinell and pay Mandy a visit. Yeah, and I want to steal some lunches. <laughs> Let's go. So happy Halloween, folks. That's our Halloween episode. Uh, another good one. Yeah. Another anniversary. A little, of, little fun. Yeah. This week, a little palate cleanser for everybody. It's been, a, it's about time, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Enough with the, we've talked, we, there were some murders in this one. There was. Yeah. I mean, yeah. There was, you know, we, we had uh, demons. Exactly. We had ghosts. What more do you need? Exactly. And we had Halloween. We did. So, before we take off, we're going to get into Patreon shoutouts like we usually do. Take off, eh? Take off, eh? Going great, right? But bef off. before we start all that, I got a message from uh, Janita Ballin. Okay. And she mentioned that she's sent us some donut money, and we neglected to mention that she was recently married. Oh, really? Yeah, that was one of her requests in the thing, and I guess I, I, I blanked on that. Well, you know, we, we, we uh, sometimes uh, make mistakes. And she said she got her husband hooked on dark poutine on their honeymoon. Wow. I, I can think of better things to be doing on my honeymoon. Well, I think that maybe they were listening to us while that was happening. How fascinating. If, any, if anybody out there uh, plays our podcast while they're doing it, let us know. Um, or don't. Well, I'm kidding. Well, yeah, or don't. Or don't. Sure, or don't. Wow. Yeah, that was... Uh, well, but happy... I uh, don't know how to feel about that. Do you, Scott? I feel honored. You feel honored? I feel honored. That's quite the... Uh, but that's... Sorry for, for not mentioning that you recently got married. Congratulations. And uh, apparently, I guess our show would be considered a, a, an aphrodisiac at that point. <laughs> Well, yeah, mm, aphrodisia. What? Oh my! That's not even a word. Well, you're just making things up as we go along again. That's pretty much exactly what I do. Well, it's it's probably a good thing. Yeah, I, I, I think it works best for everybody. It works. It does work best for everybody. <laughs> I'm not a well man. 
Well, neither am I. And, and we we have um, doctors to substantiate that we are these claims. We're we have, messed up. We have medical professionals who, who uh, will sign documents to prove this. Yeah, that were were basket cases. Bunkers. <laughs> ah, well. Yeah. So we got some uh, some Patreon patrons to to shout it out to. Always like it. Uh, we have Carly Sunby. Oh, Carly Sunby. Yeah. What a great name. Yeah. Yeah. Where's Carly from, Scott? Uh, Fort Delaware. Oh, okay. Yeah. Fort Delaware. Great. Yeah. yeah. And what does she do in Fort Delaware? She she uh, is a raker. So she rakes. She rakes things. Busy time of year for yeah. her. She, she, she has such a broad title because she doesn't want to be limited to just leaves. Ah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, if you have rocks that you need raked. Or... Or you could have like a Zen garden that you need raked. Oh, it probably would be. Yep. We should probably really love that because it'd be very calm. Yeah, tranquil, good money to be made. Uh, you know, it, it's a great, it's a great trade. All you need is a rake, so it's not a big investment. You yeah, you don't. You could take transit. Like you don't need a lot. You just need a rake. <laughs> great and things to rake. So it's uh, it's a good gig. She was, she was very smart in, in, in finding her career in raking. Good for her. Yeah, yeah. So, the next patron is Helene Young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm waiting, Scott. What are you waiting for? Well, where is she from? Oh, Oldstown. Oldstown, Fairmont. Is that a state? Is that like the 51st state? It's a new one. Oh, they just found another yeah, one. They just, they it was, it's <laughs> hidden between Vermont and uh, and uh, somewhere else. Somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. They just and like, Connecticut. Like literally, just before we started recording, there I, got you go. the, I got the update. Fairmont. Oh, yeah, and and so she's like the first one from there. She's probably the first resident of Fairmont. Oh, she's the uh, governor. Well, not only that, the mayor. Oh, yeah. The, and and the, the town sh- doctor, the sheriff, and the town doctor. Yeah, she's got a, she's got a, currently a lot of jobs. Did you know that the barber used to be the typically be the the town doctor? As that well? I didn't know because the red and white uh, on that would be on their signposts yeah. symbolized uh, band aid. Like so, uh, that was the the uh, blue part, I believe, and the red part was like for blood or oh something boy. but yeah so like I, I remember because i remember that's what that meant so yeah there you go yeah so she's probably also the barber and doctor so. christina esau yeah thank you so much christina and she is from leader saskatchewan oh what a great name christina esau yeah i and guess you could always claim that you're a leader if you're from there exactly what do you do i'm a leader I'm a leader. I'm a leader. I'm not a follower. I'm no. from Leader Saskatchewan. Oh, it would be great if right next to Leader Saskatchewan was Follower Saskatchewan. And our friend Alicia Cardoza, mm-hmm. who won one of our uh, milkshake books, yeah. has upped her pledge to PM range. Get out of disco land. She did not. How about them apples? They're great apples. So thank you so much, Alicia Cardoza. I love that we have American Prime Minister. I know we it's do. so great. It is pretty neat. Because that's how we roll. Exactly. Next up, we have uh, Jordan Blankensop, and he's from Orono, Ontario. Never heard of Blankensop? Um, Never heard of Actually, I shouldn't say Jordan is a he, because you never know. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. No, that's true. But I... I, So, yeah. Uh, Orono. Never heard of it. Is it a big town? Small town? We'll never Orono. Oh, boy. (laughs) 
Ayo. And I believe this is our first Russian. <gasps> Dina. Dina Levina. Oh. Thank you very much, Dina Levina. In in Russia, Patreon pays you. <laughs> Nuclear vessel. Nuclear vessel. I just watched Chernobyl over the this week. Isn't that great? Yeah. Yeah, and, and Dina, is, Dina is a cool cat. She's in the Yumber Yard, lots of creative stuff, lots of art. Buy some of her art. She's a cool cat. Look at her hat. There you go. Yeah. Um, Deborah Capus Cassidy upped her pledge. What? Yeah, she's from Edmonds, Washington, and she is now a PM as well. Holy Cracker Barrel. I know. Thank you so much, Deborah. You rock. And she might even roll. And roll. Exactly. Well, we all do if we find the right hill. Exactly. It's true. It's true. Edmonds, Washington. Now when I hear Washington, I think about the podcast Cold. Have you listened to that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, boy. No, that's, I, that's a, I remember when that happened. Yeah, me too. Because uh, it was because it wasn't very far. Yeah, the Susan and, Powell thing. Yeah, it wasn't very far until when that house... Yeah. Oh, that's, that, that podcast made me want to just punch people. Yeah, especially the, the dead guy. guy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Sarah Carlson, she's from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Hey, Sarah. It's probably starting to snow there by now. Uh, Isn't yeah. that where Betty White's character yeah. was from? In, uh, I have no idea. In Golden Girls? Like, she was from somewhere in Minnesota. Sounds right, but yeah, sure. yeah, I'm imagining it's getting it's pretty chilly. It's from Minnesota. It's, it's got to be getting pretty chill this time of year. Yeah, a little, little cold, yeah. starting to chill out. Yeah. And uh, we have Jesse Hartman. Hey, Jesse. From Betchelsville. Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Wow. Pennsylvania. We have a lot of Pennsylvanians, actually. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's awesome. We have to say I, Pennsylvania an awful lot. Yeah, good. I'm happy to say Pennsylvania, 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 Pennsylvania. And there we have uh, Janita Bolin, who we just talked about. Hey, did you know... She got married. She recently got married? Yeah. Did you know that? I did. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Yeah. And then they listened to us on their honeymoon, and she got her husband hooked on the show. Yeah, wow. What if, Aphrodisiac. What? This okay, seems like wait, deja vu. What, okay, wait. Think about this. This is going to get pretty meta. Okay. Right? This is going to get pretty meta. I don't so, know. So, honeymoon. Yep. Listening to us. Yep. Doing it. What if she got pregnant? What if there's a, a baby that was... A baby boy. Yeah. Mike Scott. Yeah. Or Scott Mike. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. That's it. Because if get Mike pregnant Scott on your Boleyn. while listening. Scott Michael Boleyn. To, no, that actually has that a ring to it. really good. It has a ring to it. That sounds really good. So there you go. You have you have to name your child Look at what us. we do. Like, we're just, we're not only providing entertainment. We're, we're getting people pregnant. We're naming babies. We're naming babies. Right? This is great. You're welcome, world. Yep. Jen Blackmore. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jen Blackmore. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I've, you want to know more about her? Yeah, I'd I like... I thought you I'd did. Lo- Haven't you watched her show? I thought she was from Zimbabwe. Yeah, she is. Okay. Currently living in Texas. Oh, weird. Yeah. 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 It's, there, there's a lag. There's oh, more. she got chased out of Zimbabwe by, by Mugabe's forces. Yes. Yeah. But, you know, you might not realize this. There's a lot of similarities between Zimbabwe and Texas. Did she bring Did, her... Uh, rhinoceros over there? To, yes. To Texas? She rode it. She rode it all the way? Yeah. I didn't know they could swim. Yeah, I they, guess, yeah, yeah, I yeah, guess they can. Yeah, yeah. Great yeah. distances, apparently. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and now she's a lawyer. 
So she's a lawyer from Zimbabwe with a rhinoceros that swam over from Zimbabwe. Yeah, well, she specializes in rhinoceros law. Oh. Like rhinoceros. There's a lot of Rhinoceros that. ownership, like who's really got the rights yeah. to said rhinoceros. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of work in that, in that field. <laughs> I guess you're correct. Yeah, I very much am. Well, I don't know anything else, so I... <laughs> I, the, I've, I, well, she once represented me in my rhinoceros, and so that's how I know all well, of what's this. What's your rhinoceros's name? Brian. <laughs> Brian the rhinoceros. Yeah. Mine's Eric. Oh, we just call him <laughs> Brinoceros. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. Brinoceros. It's, it's hilarious. Brinoceros. Yeah, Brinoceros. So, yeah. So, uh, I highly recommend anytime you need it. Uh, give Jen a call. Jen Blackmore. Yeah. Rhinoceros law specialist. <laughs> exactly. So you have a you turn on our business card. Well done. Oh boy. Yeah. And last but not least for Patreon anyway, is Joseph Morris from Phoenix or Phoenix City. Yeah. Alabama. Alabama. Was that, Phoenix. Was that where the Dukes of Because there's no lived? O, so maybe it is pronounced Phoenix. I don't know. I, yeah. Or Pohonix. <laughs> But it looks like Phoenix. I think it's Phoenix. There you go. <laughs> so thank you, Joseph Morris. We have seen you in the Umber Yard. Yeah. So there you go. Um, well, oh, we did get some donut money. Okay, that's great news. Lauren Barnard said, birthday donut money. Happy birthday, Scott. Need oh. to share the birthday love and send you both the same amount. We can't have favorites, can we, XOXO? Oh, that is so sweet. Yeah. yeah. I don't get lots of donuts. There you go. And we got a big, big old donation. Holy crap. From Brent Conrad. And he didn't send us a note. Holy crap, Brent. So thank you so much, Brent. That's Jeez. Uh, yeah. Wow, thank you. Uh, another Texan. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. He's, he's, in the, he's big in the Ember. Oh, yeah. He's, yeah, yeah, he's yeah, been around active. for a while. He's very, one of the OGs, even. Yeah. That is super awesome. Wow. Thank you. Thank you so much, Brent. We really appreciate it. Yeah, seriously. Um. We also appreciate everybody who's supported the show over these last two years, wow. Patreon or not. Anything that you've done to support the show in the last two years, we really, really appreciate. Two years. And, uh, yeah. Wow. It's a mind boggler. It really is. Jeebus. Jeebus. Wow. Thank Jeebus you all. Jeebus Christmas. Thank you all. Yeah. If you want to help support the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash darkpoutine. Or for one-time support, you can send us some uh, donut money via PayPal at our email, darkpoutinepodcast at gmail.com. And if you need to send us an email, send it to that darkpoutinepodcast at gmail.com. I keep having people ask me, what's your email address? We say it every show. We say it every show. Say it. This is why you got to listen right to the end. But maybe they think it's only good for PayPal. I don't know. No. No. Could be. No. If you don't already, it would mean a lot to us. If you subscribe to the show, uh, you can easily find us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, or wherever you get your on-demand audio. I'm not saying that other place anymore because they're screwing us over. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah. Check out our website, darkpoutine.com, for show notes and other cool stuff. Give us a follow or a like on Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Just search for Dark Poutine. I even have like a... Snapchat account. Oh, and really? A tic- TikTok account. I just never do anything there. What, but, what, yeah. Oh, my. But we have them. TikTok. My God, that's all that's happening in my house with my daughters. Yeah. Just TikTok. I'm not creative enough to do a TikTok video every day. T- 
TikTok a palooza over there. Yeah, I guess so. So most importantly, though, tell your friends about us. Word of mouth is a powerful thing. Until next week, don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple. Bye-bye, everybody. Chowder.